0: On today's episode, Understanding Running Economy with Christos zylia Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. The podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life. But more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brodie Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. You can appreciate me trying to pronounce Christos's last name. Uh, he is Greek, and uh, I asked him before we started recording how to pronounce it, and that was uh, my attempt on uh, pronouncing his last name. So hopefully I got that right. Sorry, Christos, if I um, yeah blew it. But without further ado, um, today is going to be around understanding running economy. Uh, we're going to delve into what that means. Um, there is a paper that was published by Christos and colleagues and the title was running economy, a comprehensive review for passive force generation. And we will delve into that. It doesn't get too scientific. I think, uh, Christos did a fantastic job of relating it to everyday runners. And I chimed in with my own, trying to come up with my own, um, metaphors and whatnot, just to make it more practically um, achievable and easier to digest. So I think we did a really good job. I think you'll go away with uh, knowing a lot about running performance and ways that you can help improve your running performance. Before we dive straight into the interview, um, I had some feedback from some listeners and it's happened on several occasions. So I thought I'd act. (laughs) A lot of people like they love the content. They love um, everything that they're learning and they're applying, but they don't know much about me. And so I thought what would be a really cool idea is if I start sharing my running experiences with you guys and the kind of like what I'm working on, what sort of um, injuries I might be currently working on, what sort of symptoms I might be getting, how I'm kind of engaging or like being proactive and how I'm changing up my running just to, uh, let you guys know that I'm also trying to make these smart decisions and, um, I'm trying to become a smarter runner myself. And it also, it it takes away or it helps you learn that running injuries happen. Like running injuries happen to a a lot of people and it happens to everyone happens to the best of us. But what we can do is trying to, um, make the smarter decisions to reduce their risk of injury. But then once symptoms arise, trying to make as smart of a decision as we can to return back to pain-free running as soon and efficient as we can. And yeah, just taking these kind of countermeasures. And so if you haven't heard my progress, my episode on me overcoming six years of tendinopathy, I did have a um, a PES and tendinopathy, which I talked about in a podcast episode a couple of months ago. Um, if you haven't gone, if you haven't listened to that, please do that because that kind of takes me to where I'm at today. And if you have listened to it, fantastic. Um, me overcoming that to date, uh, everything's gone super well. Like I think in the last couple of months I have noticed an increase in symptoms, maybe once or twice and it was doing a bit more mileage, but it really, I could only just notice it for maybe half an hour one morning and then just went away. And I remember doing isometrics that day because it was particularly sore. But if you remember from the episode that I did, I was constantly doing isometrics because that helped that tendon really, really well. Now I just don't feel the need to do it. I feel like I'll just go for a run, uh, do a gentle warm up, go for a run, come back you know, the next day, like later on that day, the next day, I really don't feel the need to address that tendon. It doesn't really, uh, I don't have a a reminder to look after it. Um, just because it's now like dissipated from my memory, which is a really nice, um, thought to have because I'm not thinking about it. And yeah, so that's where we're at with the knee issue. Hopefully that's, um, at bay for now. My running itself, Uh, in that last podcast that I did, I was building up to 15Ks. Now in Melbourne, lockdown with whole COVID is um, quite tricky. We're allowed to exercise once a day for uh, under one hour. And so I have been sticking to around about 10Ks and just like my 10K slow run, um, I'll do for 50 minutes or just over 50 minutes before I scamper into the house and before I get arrested. (laughs) But uh, it has limited... The long runs that I can do, so I've been doing about 30k weeks. I have been uh, doing some slow runs, been anywhere between maybe 5k and 10k, and just uh, hitting a really nice stride. I'll probably do that three or three times a week, and I'll probably cycle about three times a week. And <clears throat> yeah, in terms of symptoms, I did a couple of weeks ago start noticing some pain at the top of my foot. And as soon as that started happening, I thought, oh, here it is. It's a stress fracture. (laughs) Um, I think most people go to doom and gloom uh, straight away. And then upon thinking about it, I was getting it during my run, but afterwards is okay. The next morning was okay. So I thought it might have been the way I was tying up my shoelaces, maybe tying up my shoelaces a bit too tight on the top of my foot in a certain section where it was sore and have become more conscious of how I'm tying my shoelaces now and that's gone away so really happy with that however I think at the start of the week I think it might have been Monday this week I was jogging with my brother and started noticing some slight heel pain at the last k during a 5k run and that was a bit weird it probably lasted 300 400 meters Um, afterwards was okay the next morning was totally fine so taking on that principle of Observing pain over 24 hours, I'd um, I went with that, and my just trying to get a glimpse of what's happening over that 24 hour period. So the next morning was fine. I went for a run that day. I did a really slow 4k, so slower and shorter than my usual, just to see how it'd go. Um, It was fine. I don't think I really noticed it, but the next morning I definitely noticed some sort of symptoms, some like sharpish pain coming from the heel kind of deep in the heel, and not too sure what the cause was, not too sure what it actually is, but I know that pain the next morning does show some sort of inflammatory thing or some sort of tendon issue, so decided to not completely avoid running, or not completely rest, because I know that from one of our principles at the start, rest is not always best, so want to still stay active, so I have spent the last three days cycling, And now my morning symptoms, I don't have any, Um, which is a good sign. It means like it's, I guess it's kind of recovered, but still staying active, still cross-training, still doing my strengthening exercises. So I'm still staying active. Uh, I just haven't ran the last three days I've spent it cycling, even though I'm getting swooped by magpies at the start of spring. But um, yeah, I'll keep paying attention to that. I think tomorrow might be my first run back and I'll see how I go. I'll see how I feel over 24 hours after that. And then if I'm fine, I'll slowly build up and build up and build up. And hopefully that's just a really fleeting kind of symptom that just happened, but can't help but notice if someone ignored that or did the wrong things, uh, what might happen to them. Um, So that's just what's happened with me. I have made the decision to start strength training uh, with my calves and I, I do a lot of strength work with my glutes, with my quads, my knees, trying to keep everything nice and strong. I don't do a lot with my calves and... I decided to change that. So I haven't started just yet. I made this decision yesterday, (laughs) but I do have a couple of calf issues like over the past, maybe six to 12 months. um, Every now and then my calves feel really tight and every now and then my calf gets a really mild strain. And so following these principles and knowing the importance of strength training, I've decided to start doing some, uh, I'll start with single leg calf raises, probably weighted uh, something I can just do at home and see how we go. And um, that's it. That's it for my update. So um, let's learn together. Let me share my experiences as we go through. Maybe I'll do it once a week or so, Um, especially if there's something new to report. I'll let you know how I go with these new calf raises and yeah, we'll take from there. So um, enough about me. Without further ado, I'll see if I can give this uh, second name uh, a go again. Here is Christos Zilias I think I first heard about you with your um, publication and the, the paper around running economy and thought I'd just reach out on Facebook and see if you're interested in interviews. So uh, let's start with um, just thanks for coming on.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, dear Brody. It's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, I've, I've written this paper like one year probably ago. And I'm, I'm really pleased that someone found it interesting and spent some time <laughs> reading it. And so,
0: yeah. Anything about running I'll be interested in. <laughs> Can we maybe start off with just, uh, I guess, introducing yourself or where you're from and what you're doing uh, career wise on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, sir. So I'm from Greece. I'm 27 years old right now. Uh, I finished my physical uh, therapy studies back in 2011, I think. Uh, So it's important to say that in Greece, uh, physical therapy studies is on the bachelor's level, so it's not a PhD degree or something like that. So I did that, then I worked for about uh, one year as a a clinical physical therapist. at that time, I was more oriented towards the neurological uh, patients. Uh, but then uh, running came into my life, so that changed a lot. Uh, i decided to do a master's degree, so I moved for for the next two years in the U.S. I did uh, biomechanics and exercise uh, physiology studies there for two years. Uh Then one year ago, I came back to Greece. I started again my clinical career as a physical therapist, but right now I'm more on the musculoskeletal, let's say, uh, area of things. Uh, And at the same time, I'm very interested in uh, working with runners and helping them improve their running mechanics and all this stuff. So, in terms of running, I'm more on the mechanic side of things and not on the physiological uh, side. Uh, So, I cannot say that I'm a running coach, but I'm a running mechanics, let's say, guy. So, that's more or less what I do.
0: Yeah, cool. I've had plenty of running coaches on the podcast already, so we probably um, would like to diversify a little bit. When you said that you developed like an interest in running and then got into the, um, I, I guess, developed that, that interest. Was that when you became a runner yourself? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Cool.
1: I started running myself. So it's like, wow.
0: Yeah. And are you still running these days? Are you, um, what, what sort of races have you done?
1: Uh, so my race events, I'm more focused on trail running. Uh, and my distances are like between twenty and thirty kilometers. I don't know what's the equivalent in miles, but yeah, that's my range of distance. Great. And yeah, I'm doing I'm doing like uh, trail run competitions.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Pretty similar to me as well. I didn't really oh, have oh. a specialist in I didn't really have an interest in running until I became a runner myself. And especially when, when I became an injured runner and then I had to learn kind of myself how to treat myself. And then as soon as I started seeing runners in my clinic, that's when I had that kind of heightened passion to to learn more about it. So it's cool. It's very similar to, to the way I went about things as well. Let's dive into running economy. The, the title of this podcast is understanding running economy. So, I guess what would be a really nice start was like, how can you best define what is running economy for like the everyday runner?
1: Uh, Yeah. So when I'm trying to describe running economy, uh, I use the example of, uh, of of a car gas consumption type of thing. So let's say that we have two different cars running at the exact same speed. Let's say 50 miles per hour. Uh, the more economical car will cover a greater distance before running out of gas. I, I think that's, that's normal. Uh, it doesn't matter which car has the greatest maximum speed or engine power, uh, the more economical car will cover a greater distance before running out of gas. So, more or less the same goes uh, for running. Uh, at a certain running speed, uh, each runner has his or share uh, individual energy consumption rate, uh, right? So if we have uh, two runners of similar fitness level, and when we say free, uh, fitness level, uh, we talk usually about the convention, uh, conventional measure of fitness, which is VO2 max. So let's say that we have two uh, runners of similar VO2 max ability, and both of them are running at the same pace the more economical runner uh, will be able to keep moving for a longer time at this particular pace, and she or she uh, will cover a greater distance. So uh, in the same fashion, if the same two runners will be asked to cover, let's say, a distance, a marathon, for example, as fast as possible, so they are in a race, uh, the more economical one will be uh, able to sustain a faster running speed. Uh, and thus cross the line first. He will be the winner. So this is rather important in distance running because that's what we are talking about since one of the major performance barriers uh, is fuel depletion in our sport. So that's more or less how I would define if if we can say that running economy.
0: Yeah, sure. And you've touched on a couple of things there, which I really like. that car analogy. It's um, I think most people can uh, get around that and kind of uh, find that quite relative. And when it comes to runners themselves, I think it matters. Like uh, if you're doing say ultras and you've got a vast distance that you have to cover, it makes a whole lot of sense that you need to be as economical as you can in order to create um, or in order to uh, I guess run that distance or run further Mm -hmm. than your competitors but then you're also saying in the shorter distances if we're getting to like maybe a 10k or a half marathon where you're not depleting everything uh you're Mm -hmm. saying that someone who is more economical can actually travel at a faster speed when they're using the same amount of energy as their competitors
1: Mm-hmm. Taking sense, uh, the more economical, um, let's say, middle distance runner, uh, he will be able to sustain a faster running speed uh, compared with cheese or share uh, competitor, which is well, who is not that economical as cheese.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely it makes a lot of sense, and it's really good to know that it applies to the ultra distances, but also kind of the. Um, the shorter distances around that 10 K mark as well, it still matters um, entirely. And it ties in really well with my discussion with Izzy Moore that I had last week. And she introduced this um, optimal cadence or like the theory of optimal cadence for uh, increasing economy. And she Mm -hmm. kind of based it on heart rate and the method of someone uh, changing their cadence by like, Uh, 5%, like increasing or decreasing by 5%, 7.5%. And then in those different variations, trying to see what your heart rate is doing. And in any of those variations, like your lowest heart rate is starting to explore your more ideal cadence. And I guess this kind Mm -hmm. of ties in really well, because if you're manipulating your cadence to try and get your heart rate as low as you can traveling at the same speed, that's uh kind of getting as close as you can to a more economical run. Um so it I think it ties in really well with this, but with your paper, it introduces the concept of what we call lower limb stiffness and doesn't really talk much about economy. So maybe just as an addition to Izzy Moore's uh interview, maybe we can explore this lower limb stiffness and maybe we can start by answering the question like why Is it so important to running economy to have this lower leg stiffness?
1: Uh, Yes. So, so before starting talking about our lower limb stiffness, uh, we should uh, mention that yeah, running economy it's really multifactorial. So it's not only lower limb stiffness that can affect running economy. There are so many different variables that actually affect this. Uh, this measure, let's say, this ability of the human body. So, yeah, cadence is one of that, or one of these. Uh, another one can be like the environment and all the environmental conditions like temperature and uh, humidity and all these things. So, yeah, I, in my paper, paper I've just uh, talked about one of these variables and that was uh, lower limb stiffness. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Fantastic. What, like if someone is just a recreational runner, doesn't have much of a science background, can you maybe just explain what we mean when it comes to lower limb stiffness? Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Yeah, sir. So uh,
1: I, I will use another example here to just make things easier for, for the recreational runners. So uh, when we see the leg, the lower limb, as a call, Uh, we could describe it as a bouncing spring, especially during running. Uh, That's the model that most researchers have used in the past, and they continue using it. So when the the running leg strikes the ground right after the swing phase, we can say that it behaves like a compressing spring. And as we know, uh, when a spring is being compressed, it stores energy, which will return when it will be released and allowed to regain its prior condition, its prior shape, let's say. So for the leg spring, this release phase during running happens approximately uh, at the moment of push-off, when the ankle, uh, the knee, and the hip joints explode, let's say, to achieve forward propulsion of the body. So we have uh, the leg spring being compressed at heel strike, and then, and uh, that's the time point when energy is being stored. Uh, and then we have the leg spring being decompressed uh, approximately at the push-off, and that's the point when energy is being returned. Uh, so, this extra amount of uh, returned energy, let's say, is being added to the work of the contracting muscles. So, we have uh, two sources of uh, energy when we run. We have one energy source uh, coming from the contracting mus- muscles, and this is uh, how I call it active force generation. And I call it active because it consumes energy because the muscles are contracting so we have uh, fuel consumption and the other source is passive force generation and it comes actually from this spring-like behavior of the the leg so that's more or less how i could describe the
0: the concept of lower lip stiffness i don't know if that's okay yeah no it's absolutely fine i think the um, as long as people can understand that the lower leg is behaving as a spring. I was trying to think of a few analogies before the podcast as well. And I was um, thinking of something like a spring or like a trampoline. Like if you see athletes that um, like a, a gymnast, like an Olympic gymnast, when they're on that type of trampoline, that's like really bound up yeah. really tight. And as they impact that trampoline and they get maximum height that like it absorbs the load and then releases that load really, really quickly And I guess if you compare that to a non-optimal trampoline, that's like a bit more flimsy, a little bit more weak and you sink down Uh, really hard, that return of energy isn't going to be as invested where um, if you have that really wound up trampoline with really tight cords, then you're going to um, the amount of energy that you put in, you're also going to get out. It's like the, that return is um, a lot better. So if you apply that to, a runner like you were saying as soon as you your heel contacts the ground we don't want to we don't we need to absorb that load otherwise you know your bones would shatter so what we want to do is have a energy absorption phase where mm-hmm. you slow you try and make that impact quite um, soft and you try and absorb that load and we do that through things like pronation or making sure the knee is bent and the yeah, hip exactly. is a little bit bent and we try and absorb that load carefully. But then what you're saying is as we, um, rock into that mid stance and almost get into that more propulsion phase, we want Mm -hmm. that energy to start being released. So we absorb the load through one phase and then we want to release it through the next phase and it's how efficient we are at returning that absorbed energy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's when it comes to becoming really efficient. And then you did mention the active versus passive, and it took me a while to kind of get a grasp of this. But when we talk about a spring, if you if you load it up and mm-hmm. then you let it go, you're not pushing it. You're not doing anything. All you're doing is like storing that energy in the spring, and then you don't do any other any other work but just release it, and then it flies mm-hmm. off into the air. So you're not lifting it. You're not throwing it. You're just letting that. Uh, that stored energy just let it go. And I guess that's Mm -hmm. what could be um, if we're using the spring analogy, that's what could be the passive energy system. Whereas the active would be the muscles. Like if you can feel your calf actually pushing off the ground and your calf muscles working, that's more of the active.
1: Exactly. Unfortunately, we, we do not behave. We human beings, we do not behave like perfect spring. So we have these two mechanisms. If we, if we were a perfect spring, yeah, we could run forever without running out of energy. That, that would be the case.
0: So yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a mismatch between what we absorb and what we return. And it, interestingly, in your paper, it did say that about 40 to 50% of the total energy is recovered by that passive or elastic energy, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was great. And I guess the more like if your leg is quite stiff, then you'll have that return Um more efficient you'll have a better return than someone who absorbs a lot of load and then is less efficient with returning that into a propulsion phase so how how might you compare the two like if you have two runners running side by side one has a really high leg stiffness and one is really poor with uh, like with that return um how might they look what might characteristics might they have
1: uh, so, yeah, uh, it's, for this comparison, it's like comparing a, a new spring that just came out of the box uh, with, you know, with an old, used one. The new one will be able to present greater resistance to a force that it's trying to compress it, so it will have greater stiffness. Uh, and this means that uh, it will recoil and bounce back harder, and it will return more en- energy. So in the same uh, fashion, a runner's stiffer um, skeletal system uh, will return more uh, more energy at the decompression phase. So uh, this type of energy, as we said, is more or less free uh, since it has a relatively low metabolic impact. So for the same amount of work, uh, a stiffer mus- musculoskeletal system uh, will consume less energy compared to a less stiffer one. So the one with the low stiffness will have to recruit more muscles for the for the same amount of work that is being required, and the more the muscles work, uh, the more energy they consume. So. That's like that's uh, how it goes for the comparison between a more stiffer, a more stiff and a less stiff uh, runner. But at this point, I think we should mention that it's not like the more the best. Uh, there is an optimal level of fitness, and that's uh, specific and personal for every human body. So yeah, we need to to keep the balance. You know, it's it's not like trying to be the stiffer. It's like Mm. trying to find your personal balance between stiffness and flexibility because there are studies proposing that a stiffer an athlete is, the more uh, prone to injuries he or she can be. So that's, and if you are injured, you can't run, you can't train, so your running ability and running uh, performance will be negatively, uh, negatively affected. So yeah, we need to keep that balance. That's that's a, a good home uh, takeaway ma- message, I think.
0: Yeah, and so it, it almost sounds like you're saying that they will get to a certain point where you become so stiff that your functional range of movement or your biomechanics just doesn't take advantage of the situation.
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, you will go you will go the, the opposite way. You will become uh, less economical than yeah unexpected uh-huh. i
0: guess that's the same with cadence like most people need to increase their cadence because i guess most people's preferred um like just if they just go out for a run without any training their preferred method of moving is at a slightly lower cadence whereas if we bump it up even just by five percent then they can see some benefits but then if you increase it by say 15 percent or 20 percent it almost like the benefits start to plateau and then almost reverse where you're turning your legs over so quickly that you're actually using more energy than if you um, had Uh that preferred cadence. So if we're talking about stiffness, we can go in the same way. Like most people when they run could benefit from lower leg stiffness, like increasing their level of stiffness. But if you go too much the other way, then it's when it becomes detrimental.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there are actual studies regarding the cadence uh, variable. There are actual studies that actually uh, verified this: that if you uh, increase or decrease your preferred uh, preferred stride rate over a certain percentage, then yeah, it becomes detrimental for your performance.
0: Yeah, cool. Ties in really well. And I love what you said about like having a new spring versus an old spring, and that's kind of what I think about if I was to see one runner versus the other. And I, you know, usually when I run in a more um, populated area, I like to just have a look at how different people run and see if their cadence and see their technique and just um, wonder at all the different sort of techniques that are out there. But I do see the ones with very poor stiffness and you can see them like almost bouncing up and down quite a lot. And you can almost see like when they impact the ground, their knees, like the joints and the angles of their hips and their knees and their ankles, that it kind of like moves at a greater amplitude, it almost looks sloppy. You know, if you have like uh, yeah. a really sloppy <laughs> runner and that's what I like to call them anyway, <laughs> they probably wouldn't yeah, appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> but <laughs> like you're saying, like if you have a new spring, if you get a new spring out of a box, it's kind of, it's kind of rigid. It's kind of harder to to bend and it's kind of harder to, to move. But as soon as you like, let go of that new spring it like releases so much energy it's just like the the ability for it's like we said the passive um force generation is is enormous and so those runners with a very high stiffness you can see that they kind of just recoil very very quickly and it's almost like a really efficient kind of just spring that they have Um, and if anyone's listening and they they do run around like a park or a lake or something have a look at people and just see the notice the differences whether people do feel like they're um, absorbing and recoiling that that load and whether they're acting like a really efficient spring or whether they're acting a little bit sloppy um, could be a nice little obs- something you can observe is there any testing that we can do if you if someone is a runner and doesn't see a physio or anything like that, is there any tests that they could do at home or anything that they could look at themselves like on a treadmill or if they're, um, I guess maybe recording themselves on the treadmill, anything they can look out for to see if they do need to incre- increase their lower limb stiffness. Uh, yeah. Yeah. S- so
1: Uh, If we talk about uh, direct, let's say, quantification of lower limb stiffness, uh, this uh, can only be conducted in a clinical setting uh, for research purposes. And uh, this is because special uh, equipment is required. uh, And it's not really practical because it needs a lot of mathematical modeling and a lot of calculations. So it's not really applicable to for an everyday recreational runner to do that. But uh, the good news is that we can actually indirectly determine uh, our stiffness level and quite accurately, uh, let's say. Uh, One of the ways is by uh, measuring our jumping performance. Uh, That's a very common way of doing it. There are a of uh, jumping performance tests, especially the ones uh, with, uh, that include repetitive jumping and jumping on the spot or different uh, types of drop jumps. Uh, and uh, if we can go another step forward, uh, we can also use the EMG device uh, by which we can determine the, the rate of force development uh, for the major lower limb muscle groups. And the higher this rate is, uh, the greater the stiffness. Uh, but as, as you mentioned earlier, we can just uh, record ourselves and uh, take a look at our technique and compare it with uh, like uh, very economical and very well-known and well-established runners like uh, Elliot or Mo Farah and because these are one of uh, two of the best examples of uh, this uh, lower limb uh, stiffness mechanism. So yeah, we can just record ourselves and see how our body moves, how we strike, how we recoil, and all these things. But yeah, I think that's the easiest way to do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I guess what what I do in my clinics is I often get someone to jump up and down. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that and you'll see differences. Like if you compare them to a whole bunch of different runners or a whole bunch of different athletes, you'll see people develop like different strategies and you'll see people having just like their quality of jumping or hopping is extremely different compared to other individuals. And Mm -hmm. someone can be really strong and slowly lift or squat something. But if you tell them to hop and hop like quite quickly, we're not aiming for height. We're aiming for like how, fast, you can recoil and absorb energy and you're looking at fast kind of, um, hops. Some exactly. people really struggle with that and they can lift slow, heavy amounts. And, it, uh, um, sometimes it doesn't necessarily translate to something that is, um, that can recoil quite quickly. And they probably need to do a little bit of like power exercise or something with a really, um, quick, short burst. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think mm-hmm. that I think that's great. Double leg jumping, like on the spot. I think some people call them pogo jumps. You're really trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying mm-hmm. to um, jump on the spot, but trying to be like quite stiff through the legs and trying to see how many you can do like really really quickly um, rather than going for height. It can be a really nice Absolutely. test, and then you can compare hopping and you can do one side uh, hopping and the other side hopping. I, I love hopping as a test, especially when people are um, had prior injuries and a history of yeah. say like mm-hmm. Achilles or calf or knee or something. And you find that their quality of hopping on one side compared to the other is completely different. He's like, "Okay, hey, we need to iron that out before we can improve your running or start to increase your running or get back to running because, um, the hopping test really just identifies a lot of, or highlights a lot of problems that some people might have. Uh, yeah. So I, I reckon if someone's listening to this, have a, have a go at just hopping on the spot. Start with double leg and see if you can generate a lot of force with keeping your, your hips, knees, ankles quite stiff and then try mm-hmm. single leg stuff. But uh, I guess what you're saying is another another tip would just be record yourself running and compare yourselves to the best that are out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... That's more on the running technique side of things, but running technique can be representative of your stiffness level. So, yeah, it's even more indirect, but it's still a way to do it.
0: Yeah, it's something to do. And it wouldn't be Mm -hmm. much of a podcast if we just talked about this and someone, a listener, was to go away and see that they have really poor levels of uh, stiffness (laughs) without really talking about what they can do about it. So uh, I think we might highlight some ways that we can improve our stiffness or manipulate our lower limb stiffness. And, uh, I think, uh, is there any, is there any way that you'd like to start with the runner? If they're, if you have identified that they have really poor strategies with running, with absorbing and producing force, is there any way you want to start with them?
1: Uh, so yeah, there are a bunch of different ways to manipulate, uh, Variables actually to manipulate in order to improve your stiffness. Uh, we could start with uh, the way people land. Uh, so if they are four-foot uh, strikers or if they are rear-foot uh, strikers. But uh, to tell you the truth regarding uh, the the foot striking pattern, the literature is quite divided uh, in this realm. So, for the forefoot landing, uh, there are studies saying that uh, it, in, it actually increases mid-joint uh, stiffness, but it decreases ankle joint stiffness. And for the rear foot landing, it's actually the exact opposite. So, we have increased ankle joint stiffness and we have decreased knee joint stiffness. And that's quite frustrating for a person who's <laughs> just trying to, to improve things. So... Uh, when we talk about the the striking pattern uh, most studies have actually uh, tried to investigate uh, different joint uh, stiffness values so they examine the ankle and the knee joint separately and that's why this frustration comes Uh, but from the perspective of energy conservation, let's say, and running economy, uh, we are more interested in the magnitude of global leg stiffness, not just the ankle or not just the uh, mid-joint stiffness. So, uh, in this regard, again, the literature is quite divided, but if you want my opinion for this uh, aspect, the main issue is how we could significantly reduce braking forces. Uh, by manipulating an athlete's striking pattern. So when we investigate striking patterns, uh, I think we should not actually focus on uh, improving lower limb stiffness because there is not a lot of evidence that can actually guide us through this process. So if we want to do something with our striking pattern, we should actually focus on uh finding the optimal striking pattern for us, which uh, will reduce the braking forces during our uh, running, let's say, movement. Uh, Yeah, uh, another aspect is uh, footwear. So, in this case, the actual dilemma is uh, running barefoot or running with shoes. Uh, If we were to consider just the stiffness variable, uh, the answer would, be, uh, would have been pretty straightforward. So barefoot running has been repetitively related with increased stiffness uh, and higher stored and returned elastic energy due to that. So, but we need to say that although stiffness is crucial, uh, it's not the only variable that affects running economy. So why stiffness increases uh, when we run barefoot? Uh, it is probably a neuromuscular adaptation that favors uh, the, socks, uh, the sock absorption that we mentioned earlier. Uh, but this doesn't happen uh, without a cost. Uh, it is related with increased metabolic costs. So, when we need to, to absorb sock, uh, we increase our muscle activation levels. But uh, when we wear our fancy running shoes, Uh, this adaptation is not really necessary since we have uh, the shoe midsole material to do this job for us. So, yes, when we we run with shoes, uh, the stiffness stiffness decreases. And uh, there are numerous biomechanical scenarios uh, trying to explain this. Uh, But it is worth mentioning that muscle activation also goes down. So, and this is rather beneficial in terms of running economy. So, just take a look at the I re- told the recent uh, marathon racing shoes. Uh, it's not a coincidence that they have huge layers of cushioning underneath them. Of course, plus some uh, carbon plates and all this type. Uh, and. The material development process and all the technology that comes behind it uh, allowed us to provide maximal cushioning uh, while keeping the shoe weight lower than ever. And uh, uh, Dr. Crum from uh, the University of Boulder, Colorado, has beautifully talked about that. uh, And... In the world of running mechanics, she's uh, uh, cost of cushioning hypothesis. That's how she calls it. Cost of cushioning hypothesis is very well known. So, in terms of training, uh, getting, getting the neuromuscular stimulus from barefoot running, yeah, it has an interesting pot- potential uh, and a good rationale behind it. Uh, but uh, when it comes to to race day. Uh, yeah, please lace up your shoes. So it's no, no
0: discussion on that. Um, okay. There's oh, a lot to unpack yeah. there. I'm <laughs> um, um, writing down on my page furiously as if, yeah, you're delivering. Oh, all this, sorry. You? <laughs> Great. Huh? No, it's, it's awesome information and, um, a lot to unpack there. So what you're talking about with strike pattern is we're mm-hmm. almost shifting away, like shift our attention away from low links stiffness and just focus on yeah. running economy to start with. and what you suggest is when we're talking about global uh, running economy and trying to uh, return as much energy as we absorb, what we w- don't want to do is waste a lot of energy during a breaking force. And so yeah, yeah. you, what you're doing is if you're creating a breaking force and um, or a high braking force, what we're doing is wasting all that energy that could have been used for performance or propulsion. And so exactly, what you're proposing is uh, if a runner, if you witness a runner or assess a runner who has a high braking force, one of your first go-tos is to try and minimize that braking force in order to improve, improve running economy. And I think exactly. what most people have, Uh, what most people go to when they think of breaking forces is more of like an overreaching initial contact. So they're contacting the ground in front of their body further than uh, another runner. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Like uh, a huge huge striking pattern uh, can create a a massive amount of breaking force. So that's that's the first thing we should look about Uh, finding ways to reduce these breaking forces.
0: So, Yeah. yeah. So we're impacting the, um, what we call closer to our center of gravity. So almost closer to underneath your body when you first make that Mm -hmm. contact. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're contacting with your toes or your heels or your flat foot. What does matter is how far in front or how far underneath you we're we're aiming Mm -hmm. for. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. And then when we're talking about footwear, And the the whole debate around do we want something that's cushiony or do we want something that's more barefoot qualities? Uh, You did mention that the aim, I know there's a a fair bit of studies looking at how light a shoe is and the lighter the shoe, the more economical uh, a runner seems to be able to perform. But um, there's what you're saying is there's also more muscle activation with the barefoot. Yeah, exactly. So, uh,
1: when we run barefoot, uh, we have nothing underneath our feet to absorb all these searching from, uh, striking the ground. So this happens, uh, by recruiting our muscles. And when we recruit muscles, we consume energy.
0: Right. It's more of that active, um, active energy phase rather than that passive, which is what we're talking about uh, before.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, but, yeah, when we activate uh, our muscles, our leg becomes more stiff, which is good because we've, we've said that stiffness uh, is a variable that uh, positively affects running economy. But when the muscle activations are too high, then the the cost for this is rather big. So, running economy as a global measure is being negatively affected in this yeah, case. So, your legs we will need burn to up. stay. Yeah, exactly. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So we're trying to find the balance. Like we want a lighter shoe because we know if you're running with something heavier, you're literally like picking something up and placing it down that's um that's more cost effective or it's more cost Mm -hmm. like it's a um what am I what am I saying? It's it's costing more energy. But if we can try and find a balance between something that does apply cushion so it minimizes the shock attenuation and the muscles don't need to contract as hard, but still remains yeah. quite light. That's a really nice balance. Mm-hmm. And I think there are mm-hmm. more shoes out there that do offer that they do have support, but the the properties that they do have the actual shoe itself is quite light. And I think that's what we're seeing with the increase in running performances and um, you know, all these shoes that are coming out, they do, they are quite light. We're not getting those bulky kind of traditional shoes like we used to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And the, I think that in the future, of oh, the technology will help us even more because materials will become even lighter and their cushioning abilities and properties will become even better. So we don't know what we can expect in the future.
0: Yeah. If you're seeing like a runner who is one of those sloppy runners or they're um, jumping on the spot and they're, they're, really, they're, they're really struggling to... Recoil and have these powerful kind of movements. Do you work with them with any exercises or any um, kind of training, strengthening exercises?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so in this case of a runner who is really sloppy and she cannot recoil and she cannot, uh, you know, perform these type of uh, activities, I think I probably would start working with him uh, to improve his uh, coordination skills. Uh, plyometric training is a, a really good uh, choice in this case uh, because uh, it seems to promote mechanical characteristics of uh, muscle tissue uh, which, uh, with, which are related with uh, the stretch shortening activities and the stiffness. Uh, and also plyometrics and promote uh, optimal muscle fire, firing coordination uh, which in turn promotes stiffness again. So let's say that we have uh, a leg that it cannot coordinate how when uh, the quadriceps uh, are firing and when the calf is firing. So we need to make this thing work as a whole. So plyometrics can be really beneficial in this uh, in this scenario. Uh, Another aspect is uh, heavy resist, uh, resistance training or explosive training, like uh, explosive squats and explosive deadlifts, uh, which more or less uh, provide the same benefits. Uh, and uh, if, if you want my opinion, I think that uh, neuromuscular training, like plyometrics and explosive training and all this stuff, uh, uh, it's the most effective, I think, intervention from, for improving stiffness and running economy. So if we actually want to improve one variable and isolate it and focus on that, and this variable is stiffness, so the, the best way to do it is by neuromuscular training. But, uh, and why? what I mean by that is by improving coordination, uh, by improving uh, the rate of force generation, how fast you can jump on spot to link it with all the things we've talked about previously. So yeah, that's, that's a couple of alternatives that I would use in this case. Beautiful.
0: I think it ties in really well. Uh, At the very start of this podcast, I did a whole season on strength training and uh, educating the viewers or the audience about the benefits of strength training, how can improve running performance and, there is a lot of evidence to say that if you are strength training, it does all the things that you were suggesting. It increases coordination. It increases like the, the muscle fire patterns and then just increases low limb stiffness in general. So like if, if someone is quite um, quite a sloppy runner and they're not doing strength training, maybe one of the first things they can do is just start strength training. It doesn't need to be so honed in or so specific. Um, but oh, if yeah. someone is like quite a, a gym goer and they're already familiar with squats, lunges, deadlifts, calf raises, all that sort of stuff. And they're still seeing some deficits in stiffness. Perhaps maybe they might need to add in some plyometric exercises in order to um, start to promote more of that quick fire pattern and start to, yeah, become a little bit more detailed. If we're doing, if we're implementing plyometric exercises um, for someone who isn't familiar, can you maybe just give one or two examples of what that might look like, or maybe one or two of your favorites that, um, you'd recommend for most runners?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about plyometrics, we don't, uh, only talk about like jumps and all this stuff, uh, strides can also be a a type of plyometric training, strides, you know, uh, 100-meter repeats or 200-meter repeats or even shorter distances. So after finishing your easy day run, uh, don't just go back home. Uh, Spend a couple of more minutes and do some strides. They can make a huge difference uh, in your stiffness and uh, in your running economy in general. Uh, the same goes with, uh, these, uh, with all the running drills like uh, kickbacks and high knees and all this stuff. Uh, again, when you finish your easy day run, don't just go home. Do your drills, then uh, do some strides, and, and then you can go home and relax. But don't miss and don't skip all these things. They are small but they can make a huge difference in your overall performance and uh, in your health too, because uh, they can actually help prevent a lot of injuries.
0: Yeah. If it's worked within the right, um, I guess adaptation zone, they're not doing too much too soon. Absolutely. And it's a good point that you made. I didn't actually think of that doing some strides or maybe even just some short like hill repeats or um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, anything that involves some sort of sprint work that, you know mm-hmm. you're not overdoing things make sure if you do start that you're well within your adaptation zone but yeah exactly i'm just and imagining like, to... yeah they've got like so... a, a recreational runner who just say is um they stick to the same pace every time like i i know there's a certain population of runners that just they do five to ten k's a couple of times a week and they stick to the same slow easy pace the entire time and then they expect to be like a, an efficient runner but in order to get the strength benefits and have that low limb stiffness and that running economy, you kind of need to challenge your body a little bit. You kind of need to start exactly. triggering uh-huh. some sort of strength. And so that's a really good point. If someone doesn't, isn't a gym goer, doesn't want to lift weights or do plyometric exercises, implementing some sort of um, fast work into or some short heel sprints into your routine can be really effective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. sure, so, and, uh, and that's, that's another point. I mean, you don't need to go to the gym. You can start from easier things. You can start from things that you can actually do right after your run. So you don't spend time, you don't spend uh, money, which is rather important, I think. Uh, you can, if you are uh, a rather, uh, let's say recreational runner, so you don't want to invest a lot, Uh, you can do these simple things and still see some benefits. And as you progress and as you become better and as you want to improve even more, then you can go to more specific uh, type of uh, training interventions. But I think these are a good start. uh, It can be a good starting point.
0: For sure. And a skipping rope is very inexpensive as well. And that can be some really nice um, short yeah. fire, quick kind of rapid exercise you can do just doing skipping drills. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Um, is there any other take home messages as we wrap up now, anything that we hadn't covered that you want some runners to, to think about or some runners to know that we haven't discussed?
1: Uh, regarding our topics, I think we did a quite, uh, quite a good job. Uh, Uh, discussing, uh, lower limb stiffness. What is it? Uh, how can affect running economy? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there is something I I could add.
0: Yeah, Yeah. uh, totally agree. I think we've covered, uh, enough and almost everything that I wanted to cover. So that's been fantastic. Usually in this part of the, um, podcast episode, I ask the guests if they have any social media platforms that people want to be directed to, um, but because I just found you on Facebook, I'm not too sure if you have anything that you want the audience to be drawn towards if they want to learn more about you or is there anything that you encourage runners to go to, um, to learn more about this topic?
1: Uh, so I mean, uh, the the reference list, uh, from my paper, I think it's a good start. There are quite a few interesting papers that they can go and reach out and read and gain more information if they want, if they are interested to go more in depth. Uh, The thing is that I'm publishing uh, not science-based papers, more like uh, easy-to-digest type of writing stuff, but it's in Greek, so I don't know... (laughs) If that's a good choice for Joe. I have Joe. to check how many
0: uh, um, grease downloads I get.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a point. But uh, if they have any questions, they can use my email address and send me their questions. I have no problem. I can get back to them and answer and solve all their questions. Brilliant. So, yeah, they can just shoot me an email or they can find me on Instagram and DM me there.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Cool. What I might do is I might link to, uh, your paper. I might put that link in the show notes and yeah, then yeah, I might just provide, uh, your email in the show notes as well. And people can reach out to have any questions. Yeah, sure. Sure. Christos, mm-hmm. this has been amazing. I think we covered so much. I think we, um, we compliment each other really well back and forth with um, some really nice ideas. So, uh, I want to thank you. Thanks for taking the time for coming on and sharing your knowledge.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, it's always a good experience to talk about our passion. Running is our passion. So yeah, I always enjoy talking about it.
0: Absolutely. Well said. All right, you take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Run Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running. If you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating, it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury specific insights and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.